Welcome to Speak Helix, a podcast for non-scientists, venture capitalists, and tech geeks. Each week, we interview scientists and founders who are pushing the envelope on biotech. Today, we are visiting Eugene Cho, CEO and founder of Discover Echo. At his microscope company, located in a cool-looking cluster of startups off Miramar in San Diego. So, thanks for being with us today, Eugene. How would you explain the coolness of microscopes to you know, the general public? Microscopes are very visual. They are tools to enable you to see things that you can't see with the human eye. And in general, whether you're a scientist or not, even, even kids are quite fascinated with looking at, wow, that's what's underneath there. So we kind of latch on and leverage um, and you know, take advantage of that in the sense that these are very visual tools. Do you remember the first thing you saw under a microscope or similarly, what's the most uh, you know, breathtaking thing you've seen with the microscope? I actually remember my first experience with microscopes being quite unpleasant, <laughs> meaning um, I couldn't find focus on this thing. And I would struggle forever to see, you know, the image in two eyes. I would always just kind of close one eye and, and you know, break slides in, in high school. And it, it, it actually was a lot more difficult. Now, when you were able to see what you did, it was kind of a sense of like, wow, I actually pulled this off. But um, I think that the fascination actually came as things got more sophisticated when I was able to see live objects that were either moving or morphing or growing. And that was a little bit later when there were more sophisticated instruments. I think you're right. I mean, that, that first experience is pretty frustrating for a kid. Yeah. You know, looking straight in or something like that. You have the floaters all over your eyes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Bringing that, all that back, I have a greater, even greater appreciation for your iPad and visualization approach that you have with the microscope. It makes it so accessible. Once you start using the iPad in there, did that drive new innovations for microscopes that really haven't been there before? Traditionally, they're on a PC or something like that, and you guys went with something big screen, touch interface. Has that kind of driven you guys in any particular direction? Sure. So I think that one of the things that this affords is really to leverage modern technology in so many different ways. So a traditional microscope uses a computer and camera, and often they're not even using laptops, they're desktop computers. So let's take a look at what, really quickly, a $1,000 iPad Pro offers. You know, first you have a camera on there. You also have mobility with Wi-Fi and different cloud sharing apps. Then you have one of the best displays on in the marketplace. I mean, the contrast ratios and the brightness are just fantastic, and that's important to what we do. But then you have a front-facing camera, so you can do other aspects of support. The touchscreen allows for a whole different level of usability. And so there's a lot of different convenient factors that we we leverage in order to, to take microscopy into the future. Have you been able to leverage some of the artificial intelligence type things or image recognition type things that are uh, on the iPad? You know, we're just at the forefront. Um, this is something that quite a few people are, are really kind of pushing both on the tablet, but also in life sciences. And we, within our own software, are now just releasing automated cell counting which actually takes algorithms and is able to kind of decipher different, you know, cell counts and confluence. And we're pretty, pretty happy with uh, the progress and, and we'll be releasing this product next, next month. But one step further is it's also given us exposure on what capable tools you can do for self-learning and also some of the leaders in the space as well. That's really cool. Uh, do you foresee leveraging other things about the iPad, iPhone, in terms of like AR and... Uh, 3D type stuff. 
yeah, there's always really, really cool things that, that um, are emerging on this platform. Just recently, as a matter of fact, it was a project that we've been working on with a company in the UK called Affinity Photo. And they have some very cool stitching algorithms as well as uh, focus merge al- algorithms that are designed primarily for photography. But when we merge the two apps together, we now have stitching as well as focus merge on our microscope systems. Back when I first started in the industry, this would cost at least $100,000 to do. This is all done and enabled with, with the engagement of the iPad as being a common platform where other people are developing their apps. So do you guys directly work with Apple? You know, it was kind of interesting. One of our friends from our own personal network actually was an engineer, project manager at Apple for the camera, specifically for the iPad and the iPhones. So we actually headed up to their headquarters in Cupertino, and we showed the system to their entire engineering team and got a lot of feedback, and we were able to ask lightly some questions that maybe the general public wouldn't have access to. And then one step further, we actually met with their marketing team in different sectors where we've been kind of featured and highlighted as really cool, emerging, new, useful ways of using the iPad. And given what you just said about apps and and microscopes and the software aspect of it, do you think that there's a lot of growth potential there for the software side of things? I mean, it seems like with the hardware, most of these big companies, it's always just like seeing a little bit finer, a little bit, you know, deeper, a little bit, you know, maybe some more colors, but your approach uh, to microscopes is, is a little bit different. Absolutely. I think in today's technology, which I really don't want to, because if, if we listen back to this a few years later, everything could change, but... Mm. We've really seen the tablet as such a beautiful visualization acquisition device. And then now by porting the data, a lot of data analytics are done on the cloud. And so the iPad itself is really good at that kind of interface. It doesn't have the intense processing power that's sometimes used in complicated intelligence and uh, analytics. So by pushing this over to the cloud, that's actually where we're seeing some very exciting technologies emerge. In addition to that, um, what are some areas in which big tech and microscopy are, are converging? We've heard, and it's probably no secret, that Google uh, is getting quite involved with uh, AI, especially in, in pathology. And uh, we actually just received an order from them. So we're kind of walking through this space again where our microscope gives us kind of access to various technologies, and we're, we're getting more and more exposure to this. And we've also uh, looked at opportunities where we could partner and and get that software piece so they're merging together and, and really kind of enhancing the capabilities of both products. So Eugene, you walked us around your office and your warehouse and we've seen your microscopes, they're beautiful. Where did you come up with the design sort of concepts for this? Or did you hire outside or is this your own internal talent and interest? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the commentary and feedback. You know, design has always been something that I, I value as a consumer or just within my own personal interests. I, I, you know, I think I learned a lot because in high school I actually worked at a paint body shop that one of my friends opened and it was a customization shop. So, you know, bringing these kind of concepts with, with a lot of hard work and some money involved. And those are things that I kind of learned and really enjoyed. But one step further was that, you know, you have the big four microscope companies right now and they have their, their own strengths. And they're very, very good at you know, very high-end precise optics and ultra-high speed, high-resolution super microscopes. And we always were trying to find things that would differentiate us. So 
we look towards innovation, we look towards value, we look towards quality, but one step further is we look towards progressive modern design. And that was one thing that we found was our core strength that people noticed and acknowledged that made us different. And so we really focused on that. So part of our design and engineering team, we, we try to find out teams who, of course, they are good problem solvers and mechanically that's very important, but they also, on the other hand, value the industrial design aspect to make beautiful products that are more modern and progressive. Can you tell us how you came to uh, the name of your company that you have now? Right, so actually the, the, the name Echo chases me from previous emails because my, my first name is Eugene, my last name is Cho, and by joining different companies, it's Echo. Um, so I used, awesome. to, I used to get called Echo. And, um, and we thought that would be kind of something to, to spin off. Were, were you always thinking about uh, starting your own company? Both my parents had their own businesses. Um, my father was an accountant, and um, my, my mother, she ran a franchise for an after-school learning center. And so I always kind of grew up in that environment. One of the things that I found was you know, well fitted towards me is, is being a salesperson because I could create my own success to a certain extent and I could define my own compensation. And that's pretty exciting for, for someone who's a little bit younger and initially in the workforce. And you really have a lot of kind of those control knots, but when you start working for a big corporation, you realize that there's certain limitations. And I think based on the way I grew up and the exposure that I had, and also, you know, working from home from 22, that's all I kind of knew, said, what is the next step of that? And that's another big influence with saying, did I want to start my own company? And the answer was, yes, absolutely. So I feel it's kind of pretty gutsy to do that because you're going against these major, major microscope companies that have been in there for decades. How did you convince uh, venture capitalists and others to kind of support you in this, that there was a market to support a newcomer? Um, it wasn't easy. Um, people will talk about, you know, their challenges in fundraising. You know, startups are quite popular right now. There's lots of, you know, very good, some average, you know, there's startups come in all different flavors, but there's a lot of them coming out right now. So the competition is quite fierce to fundraise. One of our challenges specifically was that there are big four established brands and they're, they're not going anywhere. The other is that hardware in general is a pretty capital intensive investment in order to just prove out traction. So those were some of the challenges that we had. So we did what we did best. We you know, borrowed some friends and family money, but we actually sold our early prototypes. And so I remember our first trade show, I think we had 10 units in inventory. We brought our best three to the trade show and we sold out of that trade show. So we said, wow, this might actually be something. The second one, we, we uh, borrowed and raised enough to do 25 and our joke was, let's sell 25 this trade show. We didn't think that would happen. But one of the largest distributors from Asia was actually attending that show. We didn't know who they were. We got introduced. And they had that trade show. They actually placed a, a $2 million order. So we said, wow, I think we just sold out of the next run. How did you guys approach that? Did you end up deciding to, did you have to change your manufacturing process or your partners or that kind of thing to, to get to that production number? At the early stages, we didn't care about the cost at all. We just built these and we just kind of over-engineered them and just put them together and we would do everything that we could to get them out the door. With this, it now said we have to build this thing designed for manufacturing. So we have to design it for reliability. We have to design it for cost. And that process is constantly ongoing, but we really focused 
as a team. And our VP of engineering had, that's what his expertise was, was really taking that design into something scalable. So over the course of a year and with heavy investment, including tooling for the parts, we were able to drop the cost down, but more importantly, uh, improve the reliability and the assembly process. You've had some pretty amazing stuff happen during this journey, but uh, what has been some major surprises for you? I think that uh, when we found out that microscopes all of a sudden would get a large tariff if they were shipped internationally in and out of China, um, that was something that we said, no, this can't really be happening. This is just bluffing. And then they went higher and it got more serious and it escalated. And then you hear that it's kind of going to go away. And then now you hear it's not. So um, these are things that we had to respond and react to. And, you know, some companies, many companies are actually suffering quite a bit, but we had to remain very, very agile. I saw that you have a microscope on your website that seems to be, you know, uh, half a similar to like one of these models you'd make as a kid. You punch out of a cardboard a bunch of different pieces and there's an instruction guide and you can essentially build a microscope there and use yeah. your, your phone with it. How, uh, what was the thinking behind that and what kind of response have you gotten? Yeah, that's actually our best-selling microscope of all time. That one was a trade show giveaway that we put together at our first show. And we did a hundred of these because I think they, you know, I think they're about $5 each. So we did it. We did a hundred of them. And the next show that we went, everyone had been talking about, I think they went on 20 minutes. It was, it was, it started this kind of big thing. So we said, let's get more of these. And then we were able to find a producer overseas. So we were able to, to build more and more of them. Another thing that kind of ignited this is Chroma, who's a filter set manufacturer and one of our kind of partners that we work with, they actually wanted to do a program. So they, they co-branded, um, I think a lot of 2000 of these and did donations to the biophysical society and then more donors got involved. So these microscopes have, we discover this because we see it a lot on Twitter, but they're going to third world countries where kids in their science classes are building them together and they're looking at very cool things. And we said, we got to keep letting the, these things go. And we continue to give them out as promotional items. We continue to give them out trade shows. I joked around about how many that we've sold. It's not by any means a moneymaker, but it is something that it's just, it's so cool that people are kind of building these and, and the appreciation that they get when they're able to kind of see something that they couldn't before and put their phone on there. So they are for sale on our website. We do sell them at cost. And we also still do, if you catch us at, you know, any trade show or event, you, there's a good chance we'll have them with us. To people, I, you know, so we had this, we were, uh, Jonathan and I were briefly talking about at what point does this become a, a consumer toy, a consumer, not a toy, but a consumer thing. That's actually a good question because there is a fine line. Um, what I mean by this specifically is you can go with a high-end microscope, which can cost you know, millions of dollars, and then you can go with high-end research core microscopes, which are hundreds of thousands of dollars, then to workhorse tools for, for academics. And then um, we actually introduced a model, which is kind of a little bit more for tissue culture at a $6,000 price point. So how much further downstream and where is that line between consumer, professional, tool versus toy? And it actually is pretty close, especially with today's technologies. But I do believe that there is more opportunity in kind of that real cross point between education as well as uh, kind of a hobbyist. So 
obvious can use it as a toy, but education can use it for, for learning and discovery. And traditionally, the microscope systems that kind of engaged right in this, this area, they just weren't good enough quality. There was something compromised and there was a big fall off. But I think that today we're able to really cross that line and offer higher quality and lower price that can bridge the gap. How did you make the transition from a sales rep to uh, you know, being the head of a company? Well, I don't think that sales rep spirit has ever died. I think that part of business in certain industries is you always got to be opportunistic. And what I mean by sales isn't just, we're not just trying to convince other people to do things. It's more of the, the skills that I learned in terms of listening and trying to understand what other people's issues were and how we can help move the rock forward in challenging situations. Or when it's not the right fit, understanding that as well and backing away from it. So those are some skills that I think we took, I took over into the business aspect of it. And the other piece is when it actually came to a lot of, as the business scaled and we went through distribution and, you know, we grew into 12, 13, 14 reps, uh, we hired within our network. So I was able to use that experience to find the right guy, put them in place and know that they would take care of that job. Do you have any advice for um, others who are thinking about starting companies? I think that depends on the nature of the business, but if we're talking about your traditional startup where you have an idea and it's going to require some funding and some backing, I think that what needs to happen is there needs to be something that differentiates yourself as part of your story. So a lot of people got great products or great ideas, but there's got to be something. And I wish I could say what that exact formula was. I mean, I felt we had a very cool product, but people had their concerns. But we fortunately, and maybe it's a little bit of right place at the right time with a little bit of luck, when we got the large order and kind of proved that there's market acceptance of this product globally, that's what we shaped and latched our story on. So you have to put yourself out there and you have to have execution and address you know, opportunities that come up to you, but use those to craft your story. What's next for you? I actually don't know that yet, and I wish I could give you something, but uh, it's sometimes things that I wonder about, but we're just so focused in the moment right now. I think that we've latched on to something very good, and we're actually trying to redefine what the next phase of the company is. I think that's a great place to be. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Eugene. It was a lot of fun talking to you guys. Thanks. You can check out Eugene's Microscope Company at www.discover-echo.com. And if you want to get in touch with Eugene, shoot him a message on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to Speak Helix. Please visit our website at www.speakhelix.com to find info about our guests and to make suggestions on who you would like to hear. You can subscribe to Speak Helix wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Anchor, iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya, you name it. If you like the show, give us a rating or review or share it with a friend. Join us next time for another episode of Speak Helix.